This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. This week, our podcast is brought to you by BHP. Reducing greenhouse gas emissions in the production of iron ore and copper is critical. That's why BHP has committed to solar, wind and battery agreements at mine sites across Australia. It's happening now at BHP. Visit bhp.com slash critical to find out more. Everywhere you turn in Australia, people are looking for workers. Teachers, tradies, hospitality workers, healthcare, employers just can't get staff with the right skills. Business is calling it a crisis, and it's such a big deal, the new Albanese government is having a jobs and skills summit to try and fix some of the most serious issues. So in this Squish Shortcut, we look at how it's come to this, who's responsible for educating and training the workforce of the future, and some ideas on the table to try and turn it around. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. This has really become one of those conversations you overhear everywhere you go now, Claire. People talking about staff shortages and business owners complaining they just can't find the right people to fill jobs. Yeah, and you're not imagining it. Uh, Employers are struggling to fill 480,000 jobs at the moment, uh, according to the latest data from the Bureau of Statistics. To put that into some kind of context, that's nearly double the number of job vacancies that existed before the pandemic started in early 2020. And with the unemployment at a 50-year low of 3.4%, there's not a great pool of people lining up for all these positions. Yeah, exactly. And remember, with unemployment this low, the relatively small number of people who are looking for work might have different skills to those job vacancies, or they might not be living in the right areas. And then there are the labour shortages that are everywhere. Of course, it would be easy to blame COVID for all of this, but... Like everything to do with jobs, economy, data, any time you say something like the Bureau of Statistics, it's not that simple. And look, COVID and Australia's long border closures have made things a whole lot worse. Mm. But remember, the entire world's been dealing with COVID and Australia is still suffering the second most severe labour shortages in the developed world. That's according to a big international study from the OECD. Uh, Only Canada is doing worse on this front. So it really does give you a sense of the challenge that Australia is facing. Right. So to be doing so badly by international standards, it's fair to say this challenge has been brewing for a while. Take us back to those pre-COVID days to explain how the skills shortage, Claire, was already biting. What you'll hear the government and economists talking about is the fact that Australia has a structural skills shortage. Uh, And what that basically means is that the way that we educate and train people, uh, the skills that we give them, whether it's at school, uni, TAFE or other government and industry courses, they aren't coming out of those courses with the skills that employers need. You've got an example for us. I love an example. (laughs) So the Chamber of Commerce and Industry says that for about a decade before COVID, uh, we were in an apprenticeship drought. Mm. Only 50% of people who start one actually finished. Uh, And what that means for the pipeline of people in everything from hairdressing to the construction industry, well, it's been drying up for quite a while. 
And of course, pre-COVID, when we had a lot more migrants coming in, it sort of masked the problem because we could bring in someone from overseas to plug a gap if we didn't have enough trained people here. Australia's borders started opening to skilled migrants at the end of last year. But given the sheer number of businesses looking for staff, that's not going to be enough on its own to fix the problem. No, it's not. And to put it into perspective, the Grattan Institute estimates that we're down about half a million temporary migrants compared to 2019. Uh, That includes foreign students who have left our shores, other skilled migrants who returned to their home country, uh, and another big chunk who went home were those working holiday makers, Mm. um, those under 30 years old who contributed a big part of the workforce on farms uh, and some remote and regional economies. And because our borders were closed for so long, a lot longer than many other countries, of course, many potential workers and students, they've moved right on. Yeah, and a good example of that, uh, this year the number of foreign students arriving uh, is running at just a quarter of what they were in 2019. They've just chosen other countries to go and study in uh, and Australia is competing with the rest of the world to get those skilled migrants back here. That gives you a good snapshot of just how complicated things are and the immigration challenges that we have. Let's go to the home front now with how training and education operates in Australia and why we aren't churning out the right type of workers. So in Australia, we've got lots of options for skilling people up. Beyond high school, there's university. And the other biggie is something called vocational educational training. Plenty listening will be familiar with it. It's VET, V-E-T. That can be delivered by what most of us know as TAFE colleges or other private or community-run institutions. These sorts of courses are often funded by the state and federal governments in partnership with industry. Uh, So everything from a qualification to work as a chef or a childcare worker or to do a labouring job on a construction site, uh, to do any of those jobs, you need some sort of certificate from a recognised institution uh, for an employer to give you a job. Those courses might take anything from four to six months for a certificate one course uh, to a couple of years for an advanced diploma. As I said, there'll be plenty of people listening who are very familiar. They may have done one themselves. Vocational education is meant to be much more hands-on than university. That's the idea of it, because industry groups contribute to the curriculum and training. And the courses are meant to really quickly adapt to what employers need. Yep, that's the theory. Uh, But something's not quite working right. The government's own figures show that only 60% of people who complete a VET course uh, actually improve their employment situation after training. And this brings us back to our employment numbers. Generally in jobs, it all matters because Australia really relies on vocational training to build our workforce. And to give you a snapshot in 2019, around 4.2 million students were enrolled in VET. Uh, That's almost a quarter of the working aged Australian population. Mm. In the same year, about 4 million students were enrolled in Australian schools and 1.6 million students were at uni. 4.2 million students were involved in VET courses. That is a lot. There was a big review into Australia's vocational education system back in 2019, and it made a lot of recommendations about how things needed to change. 
So it was pretty clear back then that employers were losing confidence in the system. Uh, There were some private institutions delivering really poor outcomes. And so even back then, everyone saw a big need for a better quality assurance, as well as a lot more agility in the system. Like we said, courses just weren't adapting fast enough. So because of this, pretty well every corner of the country has been feeling the labour squeeze. Let's dive into the specific industries where Australia has the most urgent need over the next five years. There's a skills priority list, Claire. Yeah, and some that make up the top 10 are construction managers, civil engineers, preschool teachers, nurses, IT specialists, chefs and childcare, uh, disability and aged care workers. It's worth noting in that list, the top handful, engineers, teachers, nurses, construction managers, are all university level qualifications. And that's, of course, not a quick turnaround if a bachelor level course is required. That's a minimum of three years of study. And the university sector agrees that it has a big role to play. It wants to make it easier for someone who's got a degree to retrain in another area. Uh, Certainly anyone thinking about teaching might have heard a bit about this. Mm. Uh, A lot of state governments want to fast track graduates um, who don't have a teaching degree to retrain to get into the classroom within a year, not the three or four if they had to start from scratch. Ernst and Young looked at a lot of the skill mismatch between the degrees our universities offer and the skills the workforce has needed. It says that graduates are coming out overqualified in professions that don't need them. Yeah, like my arts degree, I guess, but it's <laughs> all a bit of a wake-up call now that things are really at a crunch point. Yeah, we really didn't pick a degree that's going to give us a job, <laughs> hence why we had to start the squeeze, I guess. <laughs> Claire, it sounds like we might need a summit to try and fix all of this, and lucky there are some ideas floating around on how Australia can turn this around. Let's get into what this summit is trying to achieve next. Claire, we're working with BHP again on Weekly Wrap this week because they're keen to share with Squizzers how the resources they mine are key for our economy's shift to renewable energy. Yeah, so we often hear about the push towards renewable energy, but what doesn't get as much attention is the role that mining companies are playing in making that transition possible. Take steel, for instance. It's a key material used in the construction of renewable energy infrastructure, as well as bridges and transportation, hospitals and schools, and a big part of it comes from iron ore. That iron ore mainly hails from Western Australia, and BHP says the importance of responsibly produced Western Australian iron ore is clear. Yeah, and by that, they mean reducing the greenhouse gas emissions associated with iron ore production. That's why BHP has committed to a solar and battery agreement to help power their port facilities at Port Hedland. It's happening now at BHP. And if you want to learn more, visit bhp.com forward slash critical. You'll find that link in your episode notes. So this Jobs and Skills Summit was a big election promise of Anthony Albanese. It's getting underway in Canberra with a who's who of business, politics, unions, academics and community groups. Yeah, with just 100 places, it's the hottest ticket in town, if you're into that kind of thing. (laughs) I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) At least a couple of billionaires are in the room with Atlassian co-founder Scott Farquhar, also iron ore magnate Andrew Twiggy Forrest, uh, plus the bosses of various big companies like Qantas, Coles and Woolworths. 
didn't realise it was only 100 people. That is quite the event. (laughs) On the union side, Sally McManus from the ACTU is the most prominent voice. She's one of about 30 union and workers reps. State and territory leaders are there, but not the federal opposition leader, Peter Dutton. That's been a thing. No, he rejected an invite, but the Nationals leader, David Littleproud, and the Greens leader, Adam Bant, both said yes. There's a lot of ground to cover in less than two days, but pretty simply, what the government wants out of this, and let me know if I've got this right, is an agreement on how we can build a bigger and better trained workforce and ways to ensure workers get a bigger slice of the pie with higher real wages. That is a mouthful. (laughs) Yeah, and that's really what it's about. Uh, We've talked a lot about the skills shortage side of the equation, uh, but remember boosting wages is the other really big one. And Albanese, when he was the opposition leader, campaigned hard against the Morrison government uh, on the so-called triple whammy that was rising inflation, rising interest rates and falling real wages. And now that Albanese easy is in charge. It's really something on a promise to fix all of that. We're about to explain what real wages actually mean. Stay with us. We know this is a tough one because real wages growth, you'll hear that a lot in the news, has been pretty stagnant for a decade and it got a whole lot worse over the past year. Petrol, food and housing costs all really blowing out. This is what we mean when we say real wages. (laughs) Yep, that's my cue. Um, (laughs) Millions of workers have actually seen their wages go backwards in real terms in the last 12 months and that's because inflation is running really hot at about 6% while wages growth has been less than half of that. Mm. Uh, So what it does is it makes the cost of living a bit of a flashpoint. Yeah, so salaries might be high, but it doesn't mean in real terms that they are. Back to the event, 100 people in a room and some big problems to solve. Where are we going to see some agreement, do we think? Well, one of the big ones is on migration. Unions and the employers both agree that we need to boost the annual intake from 160,000 people to potentially 200,000 people. Uh, With my arts degree, I know that that's an increase of up to 40,000 a year. Uh, And we know that in the short term, the government is really focused on plugging gaps in particular industries. So look out for that extra quota, filling shortages in things like trades, IT specialists and aged care workers. Yeah, we've already said it's not going to be as easy as flicking a switch and migrants will start pouring through the door. It's not that simple. The government's got some work to do to get the people we need to fill those shortages. But the unions are pretty firm about not supporting an increase in migration uh, without also investing more in training Australian workers. And business is in lockstep with the idea that we really need to boost funding to TAFE. So we should keep a keener eye out in the October federal budget. That's coming up 25th of October, if I remember correctly, for an increase in vocational education training funding. And apprenticeships look like they're another big priority. Yeah, even before the summit starts, businesses and the unions were calling on the government to increase wage subsidies that they give apprentices, uh, saying no one can really live on the low incomes that we're expecting them to. Uh, And they also want incentive payments to apprentices uh, who actually complete their training. uh, And that's to try and stem that really high dropout rate. Wages, Claire, there's still the whole wages thing and the real wages. It's going to be a fair bit trickier to get all sides to agree on ways to lift workers' wages. 
Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, There's a lot of debate around enterprise bargaining, which is the way pay and conditions are negotiated by organisations. That's probably one that's going to need a lot of thrashing out, not just over a couple of days. Mm. Uh, But look for action in the shorter term around better paying conditions for workers in the gig economy uh, and more being done to ensure equal pay for women too. And, of course, any ideas raised at the summit will be considered for a big government blueprint on employment or a white paper standby for those terms to be thrown around post-event. It's not the after party we're used to, Claire, but, you know, (laughs) each to their own. That's your shortcut to jobs in Australia. On to our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. Once again, I got the boring one and you've got the interesting one, but (laughs) whatever. If you want a really good dig into all the issues around the summer, we've got a link to a backgrounder from Treasury. (laughs) Isn't that exciting? (laughs) (laughs) No one is going to read that. (laughs) Well, you know. Some might. Don't (laughs) underestimate. (laughs) If you're clicking on that from our episode notes, I see you. Thank you. (laughs) For me, something a little lighter, Kate. Uh, I'm giving you a list of the 12 most fun jobs to do. It's from TAFE uh, and I like the one interior designing. I think that could be fun. Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Squeeze Shortcuts. If you like what you heard, obviously, please tell people about the podcast. We really appreciate it. It's the number one way that we grow is by word of mouth. And of course, if you have any requests for a Squeeze Shortcut, you can send them through to hello at thesqueeze.com.au. Thanks for listening to this one. And we'll be back next week. Mm